Welcome to episode 274 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our topic this week, we're going to talk about humans working very tightly with artificial intelligence uh, in advanced teams that produce amazing creative output. These human-machine hybrids have been uh, labeled so-called centaurs, which I think is a very interesting uh, term for uh, uh, humans and machines working together, and uh, was inspired by a wonderful essay on Aon, which is aon.co, um, the website if you're interested, and the essay is Art by Algorithm, written by Ed Finn, who has also written a book, What Algorithms Want, Imagination in the Age of Computing. And uh, I quite like Ed's essay on Aon and recommend that uh, listeners check it out. So let's uh, start with sort of the fun naming of this uh, uh, this term, which I think for all the geeks in the audience sort of appreciate the centaur term for its mythological background. This, of course, is a body uh, or sort of the upper torso of a man, the body of a horse. And there are these powerful, smart, majestic, fierce creatures that can sort of uh, kick a lot of ass in mythology, right? So, so this idea that we're bringing together AI and human beings to create a centaur, that's, it's just a funny, it's a funny term to me because, I don't know, it, rather than, than, than call it um, you know, some other mythical hybrid, um, they come up with this fearsome creature that, uh, that kicks ass. And it plays a prominent role in Harry Potter as well, uh, for all you uh, Harry Potterites. Yeah, it's a really clever term. You know, with with terms like this, trying to coin a term, um, many clever terms are not adopted and don't really go anywhere. So, you know, whether you know we ever use centaur again after you know a few months or a year from now, uh, who's to say? But it, it certainly is clever and would be a nice term for talking about these. You know, the the hybrid projects, the hybrid initiatives. Um, between you know humans and machines. Yeah, and I think there's some history there as well. Um, I believe Gary Kasparov has talked about these human computer teams that play chess. Um, there's a new form of chess play that involves these human computer hybrid teams called freestyle chess. And, you know, that's way out of my uh, depth in terms of the types of things that would happen in those games. But essentially, it's uh, the human plays the strategic role and the computer uh, sort of runs through all the tactics and, and options and anticipates, you know, possible uh, negative repercussions for the human's sort of initial strategy. So at a really high level, that's, that's what freestyle chess is. Uh, and this idea of the centaur, the, the, uh, the human plus uh, the enhancement of the AI to make these, this so much better. But, um, you know, Ed Finn raises a really interesting point in his essay, which, you know, he's basically saying, we, we kind of do this now. This is, this is at the core of our creative output. And sort of, Dirk, bringing this back to the idea of, of human beings uh, being great creators, right? And then using AI as a tool to enhance that. 
that's where I get really excited about it. And it's really just part of the continuum of what we're already doing, right? In a lot of ways, we're already doing this uh, computer-human hybrid to generate all sorts of uh, interesting outputs, whether they be excellent photographs that, I, you know, with, with a regular camera, there's no way I could take some of the photographs that I take with the iPhone X, I mean, it's got this lovely portrait mode, and I swear, every time I post something to Facebook, people are like, what are you shooting with? Like, that looks awesome. And I'm like, I'm just using the portrait mode in iPhone X. I'm it's getting, not a Leica. No Leica, huh, John? Yeah, no. I mean, like, all of this um, accoutrement of the history and skill and working in the darkroom, you know, which, which, which I used to do, and just, like, all of these things, you know, learning about cameras and lenses, and, and you know, when I was in seventh grade sort of just figuring the stuff out how to frame the shot like all of this is negated by smarty pants algorithms that uh sort of level up all of your skills you know for for no other good reason than hey like now it's a beautiful photograph and um that's so much better than posting a crappy snapshot in fact, I think part of the iPhone X marketing is just showing people, you know, in the, in their ads, like how fantastic some of the uh, the photographs can be, you know, just sort of generated by this computer software. So, to Ed Finn's point, like, yes, this is has made me a a much uh, more expressive and interesting photographer and i didn't really do anything to deserve that i just bought an iphone x so yeah yeah it's it's interesting right and one of the things that i think complicates matters is the label of artificial intelligence so when we talk about ai and humans and computers playing chess together people get a little think it's a little odd you know like certainly chess championships are still being conducted human versus human, right? The centaurs are not present in those competitions. But in other contexts like photography, which you were just talking about, we take for granted how completely the technology has integrated into the humanity to better represent the world. So, uh, you know, once upon a time before the, the invention of cameras, we would have had to draw each other. If I saw you or saw a scene and wanted to capture it, to sort of take it out of time asynchronously and share it with someone else, I would have had to use my hand, uh, which, you know, from one person to another, the skill difference and how well that could be done is vast. Now, you know, that technology, that iPhone X, which is a, a really expensive phone, John, that iPhone X is available to anyone who can afford it, which is, you know, in the United States of America, most people are able to buy it, whether or not they should be buying it with the money they have is a different question. Um, but it's a widely available piece of technology that lets all of us capture reality for, you know, asynchronous sharing right there. You know, we can all do it at this ridiculous level of quality far beyond the little drawing. And nobody thinks about it because it's a camera. It's a phone. It's a technology that we we consider a thing, we consider inanimate, and it, it's just giving us more more power. With the chess example, you know, it's a product of a particular a type of software and um, software development that is falling into artificial intelligence, AI. And because science fiction takes that into artificial life and, and machines replacing humans and and all of these other things, there's there people are a little bit concerned about it. People are a little bit scared of it. Um, but it really isn't 
particularly different at this moment in time, in technological evolution, and for decades in the future minimally than a camera. Um, it's just instead of a piece of hardware with some software running in and, and very advanced technologies and aspects to that hardware, it's software that is running a particular way that's very advanced uh, and is able to do different things. So, you know, there, there's real demystification that that needs to happen for our being able to leverage AI and leverage sort of a centaur approach to doing things as well as we can that we need to overcome. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I, I think that's sort of worth digging into uh, from a slightly different perspective that I think I can share from the music side of things. And, you know, what sort of modern music and production does particularly well is incorporate software, hardware with sort of traditional creative means to, you know, to generate very interesting and, um, you know, artistic music releases. So what I mean by that is there's a ton of software that is, you know, and some of it's even available more or less for free on your laptop that can make music production happen so much more easily than sort of back in the 90s when I was, you know, sitting in front of a uh, mixing table and uh, uh, a reel-to-reel. And I'm not complaining, but pretty much taking uh you know tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment and shrinking it down into bits and bytes and you know giving it away for free additionally sort of adding all kinds of interesting filters and auto tune and uh effects and different processes and workflows where you can construct things now that would have taken a massive budget and a lot of know-how you know, if this were 20 years ago. And so what I find interesting is the conversations around creating music. There's certainly, there's there's a hell of a lot of sort of back and forth about whether or not a laptop can be considered, you know, a musical instrument and whether or not all of these processes are really helping or not. Because of course you can take someone who can't sing a lick and tune up their voice, and all of a sudden they sound, you know, reasonably acceptable, right? They sound like a, you know, a rock star, um, you know, and add some distortion. You can even sort of split up their voice into uh, uh, different tonalities. So now you have backing vocals. There's so many things that you can do with the enhancement of computers to create musical art to create, you know, musical releases that, uh, you know, so, some people find that, you know, offensive, right? Some people find that difficult to digest because it's not done in the way that it was previously. And in some ways, it's reducing the amount of human skill required because the software really automates and pulls in some of the, some of the tasks that um, uh, would, would otherwise fall to a human engineer or a, a recorder or, or what have you. So my point is that music is integrating all of these tools fairly well. And one of the things that I, as, as a music creator, listen for now is how people are using the software tools in their music. So when I hear songs now, I'm really interested in what filters and what harmonies and what you know, sort of interesting things producers have done to make their music more interesting. And so I think it's bringing out from people 
it's giving them more creative opportunities and 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 I don't think that the sort of controversy over the uh, mechanics of generating this music is really worth paying attention to because I, I I think the outputs still really represent great human creativity. That being said, there's a ton of music being released now, and a lot of it's not getting listened to. I think part of that is because of this ability to just generate music on your laptop, you know, record in a tiny studio in your house, uh, and then, you know, reasonably have an album you can share online doesn't require this the same level of, uh, of fiscal backing that it used to. Uh, so for what that's worth. Yeah, I mean, it allows anyone to be an expert, right? I mean, there's there's different levels of quality and final output, but you can take someone who who's not been trained musically, who uh, you know is is just kind of figuring it out for themselves with the tools and monkeying around, and they can produce music that sounds pretty good. Uh, you know, it, it may not be quite as good as the best stuff that's released commercially, but uh, you know, somebody who you wouldn't expect can can release something that's pretty pretty wonderful. Um, and you know, you, you, you used the phrase earlier of replacing human skill. And while that's true in the most literal sense, I think we focus too much on that part of it of, well, you know, it's coming in and replacing this thing a human could otherwise be doing. It is. And it's allowing the human to do other things, to do things that are, are, you know, what I might say are higher level things or things that allow us to extend our reach and our grasp even further, um, you know, instead of having to do manual, laborious processes, the machine automatically does them. And what can we do with that time? You know, we can listen to more music to make our context more rich and more full. We can learn, you know, new techniques. We can research new software to bring in more software and make things even better. Um, th there's a lot of new things that are enabled that will make the music better, that will make us smarter um, by virtue of the fact that those things are happening. So even though it's technically correct that it's coming in and replacing things that used to require the human skill in the process, it's enabling us to do much more and oftentimes more interesting things because typically the things that are being automated are not the things that people would choose to do if they could do anything that they want with their time. It's usually the more funky stuff that's being automated. So, so rock on, automate away as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of exciting things that, uh, you know, that software can do for the artist, be they, you know, musician, photographer, you know, you, you name it, the, the software enhancements are there and are, are growing. And, you know, even if we think about sort of the broader array of human tasks and uh, jobs and, and work, we think about, you know, all the writing tasks, all of the uh, uh, sort of computational tasks, you know, around, you know, accounting or all the research tasks in science. Like these are the kinds of things where software, you know, AI driven software is going to be, you know, making a huge difference uh, around, you know, automating things that, like you pointed out, Dirk, you know, might not be super exciting. Maybe, maybe there will be better ways to vet the uh, thousands of papers that get injected into uh, scientific literature every year so, so that scientists can be better informed in their research and yet don't have to spend quite so much time keeping up with their reading of papers. 
or you know fr- from the writing perspective you know we already know that there are a number of software programs that are sort of automated uh, and able to generate stories that we can read about you know like minor league baseball stories are being automated um based on the statistics that come out of the game. So there's so many areas where where these opportunities exist. And I think part of the framing of this discussion around, you know, what comes next for humans as they do work and as they do creative things, it's going to be important to Number one, sort of, you know, look at AI and software as tools of enhancement. And, uh, you know, this sort of centaur framing of the problem is, I, I think, pretty, uh, pretty useful for that. And then also just to appreciate that there are people who are going to be very uncomfortable with introducing software at all levels of their work. And so getting over that hump as well, I think, is going to be important, you know, whether it's in... Uh, science or art or writing like these uh these software packages are going to you know inundate these fields and we can sort of already see that happening you know it's something something we need to get ready for Mm-hmm. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everyone, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you'd like to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging technologies, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at DNemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 274 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Peace.